So, so we'll kill him together, and then I'll inherit, I'll inherit twenty, twenty thousand pounds. Oh, be probably more. The vast estate, and, and you'll get forty quid, cash in hand. And she's like, what? <laughs> "You what? Forty quid? Yes, cash in hand." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, very good, Mr. Frenchman. I don't think we'll need any help from a Frenchie. Welcome to part two of Shortlift Royals. Look, it's Agatha Christie's The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. Agatha Christie. <laughs> Ag- Agatha Christie. Oh, dear. Agatha Christie. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> It's the, the Popeye's laugh version of Agatha Christie. The was, well, the thing is, I read it off the um, off the cover that I've got of this book, and it's written in sort of handwriting as a lot of the Agatha Christie books are. Yeah. So yeah. I couldn't quite read it. So <laughs> Agatha <laughs> Christie. But right. ne- but never mind all that. Um, the the fact of the matter is, we're on part two of our four part look at Agatha Christie, and. Last time, we told you, if you're reading along with us, we're going from um, chapter six, uh, called The Tunisian Dagger, as far as, and no further than, um, we're reading up to chapter 11, Poirot Pays a Call, but uh, we're reading that one as well, so it's up to chapter 12, Round the Table, and no further than that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So, so what, when we last left it, it was sort of... We'd had our predictions, hadn't we? We were going to do these every week. Ralph. It was bloody Ralph. It was. You think it's, it was him. You think it's Ralph? I think it's a combination of Ralph with the assistance of the housekeeper doing a sexy dance and then killing him when Ackroyd is distracted. <laughs> and I've got to say, this next part makes me all the more confident about that but, as, but we'll find out more as we go yeah and weirdly this next part makes me less and less confident about mine I'm, st- I, I'm essentially I'm going to stick with mine now just because I quite like having called it before the murder even occurred him he's a wrong one. I'm having him that one him there but right. it's completely undeniable that I mean we'll, we'll visit this obviously but it definitely feels unlikely to me Okay, so the Tunisian dagger is our first chapter for today, and um, we're basically wondering who was this stranger who uh, the doctor bumped into um, just before the murder happened. You mean um, the incredibly well sketched, not at all stereotypical, sort of vaguely not posh accent type with the rough accents? Exactly, yeah. Not at yeah. all suspicious looking man. Not um, at all suspicious looking. Now, the inspector, oh, we, we didn't mention this last time, there's an inspector sort of knocking around here as well. He's trying to put things together. Not Poirot, we've not sort of, he hasn't revealed himself yet. He's still going under the cunningly, <laughs> <laughs> the cunningly <laughs> chosen false name. Mr. Porrot. No, the thing is though, Matt, like, so here is the thing. I actually have, I have um, some family who are French and who therefore have a very French sounding uh, last name, right. which is very, very, very easy to mispronounce. Um, uh, if you're English, because people look at it in English and they pronounce all the words wrong, the G's are hard and not soft. You know, the 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 N's are all hard. You know, like it's, it's all completely wrong. And I, I have to tell you that, therefore, my personal experience leads me to believe that there is no more 
cunning and effective way for a French person to disguise their identity in England than to just allow people to pronounce their name in the way that it looks like it's spelt if you're English. <laughs> like, All if right. I was Peugeot, I was the maker of Peugeot cars, and I wanted to go incognito in a small English village, I would absolutely let everybody call me Mr. Pugiot. Nobody would <laughs> find me. Nobody would find me. Mr. Pugiot sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Yeah, it's odd, isn't it? Anyway, nothing to do with the cars. <laughs> I can just imagine that being a film as the big reveal. Like sort of the, the the key moment where it's going, it's all coming together, and they look at the design, which basically says Peugeot, and it's like, hang on a minute, say it in a different <laughs> accent. It's all coming together. <laughs> the cunning bastard hid himself in plain view by being French. <laughs> okay, and it would work. Uh, well, okay, I'm not sure I'm convinced, but still, he's under oh, an assumed name. You have little moment. faith, Matthew. <laughs> um. <laughs> Now, they're thinking that this stranger is actually, may, might actually have been Ralph dressed up. Um, which, bum, 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 bum! Which leads me to the question, Ralph of sort of, you know, son or son-in-law, son, stepson of Roger Ackroyd, who's lived there for most of his life, why would he need to ask directions to the house? There's a good question. Excuse me, excuse me, Doctor, can you just show me to the, the house that I've grown up with and grown up in for the last 20 years? I can't remember. Oh, so is, so that I have dimension. the very living opposite of an alibi, please. It's very important <laughs> that I have absolutely no chance whatsoever of proving I was somewhere else right now. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but anyway, that's the theory they're working off. They, they start questioning the sweaty butler, who, if you remember... Um, we, we, we know what he's up to. He was, he was a bit of a voyeur at the last one. But uh, no one's worked it out yet. Um, and <laughs> they think... <laughs> no, I just, I just... just The phrase a bit of a voyeur was not one I was expecting to encounter whilst reading an Agatha Christie novel. Maybe, maybe, maybe I've fallen for the, uh, the veneer of respectability pulled over it by the fact that it all takes place amongst very, very wealthy English people. But, well, well... Yeah. So basically, the inspector thinks because Parker's acting so suspicious, he's probably the murderer. Um, and he, they've got sort of they recover the the Tunisian dagger, which is the blade that's killed Roger Ackroyd, and there are fingerprints on it. So looking good. Well, open and shut case, then, isn't it? Surely, just like there's fingerprints, clearly visible fingerprints on it. Mm-hmm. If you weren't in a detective novel, what you'd do is just like call up a few constables, have them go around everybody who's had anything to do with Ackroyd in the last few days, and then lift the prints, no? That's what... Well, that's kind of what happens here, but not really. So, no. just before they do the fingerprint harvesting, they uh, they try to work out how this Tunisian dagger was removed from the cabinet. Do you remember there was a display cabinet in the drawing room with loads of little sort of interesting bits and pieces? Apparently the Tunisian dagger was in there and was taken out at some point. Uh, um, well, I'm, actually, that's not so shocking so much as it is obvious because it ended up being not in the glass display case and lodged instead in the sternum of the owner of the house, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> if you remember, the maid my prime suspect, was in there when um, when the doctor arrived and they heard the cabinet shut him. She was. The maid or the housekeeper? Oh, yeah, they're two different people, aren't they? I know. I mean, the- I, I, I feel... I, this is an interesting thing, actually, here. I feel like I might be at a distinct disadvantage here, not really being terribly familiar with different, like, 
different roles in domestic servitude yeah. in the early 1900s. You know what I mean? Like, I don't watch enough Downton Abbey, and I am nowhere near wealthy enough to really know. Like, so the chambermaid and the housemaid and the parlourmaid and the housekeeper <laughs> yeah. and the... And they're all, and even in Downton Abbey, they're all just, you know, like walking, talking stereotypes with not London accents. Yeah. So I just, I, I'm quite lost here. I don't know about you. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure this is the housekeeper. It was the, it was the, right, um, right, okay. the woman who was asking that sort of this is suspicious sounding stuff. Do you know when she was asking, oh, I've got a bad knee, or by the way, do you know any poisons that are undetectable that I could possibly not use to kill someone? <laughs> but, but she didn't. I mean, if it was her, then he was stabbed. So what was it? She like <laughs> yeah. give him give him the undetectable poison and used it in the wrong amount, or maybe he's like in his, from his days in the colonial service, he made himself immune to particular types of completely undetectable poison. So she just had to go mental and stab him in the throat with it. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, when she asked the doctor, the doctor sort of said, "Yeah, there, there are some knocking about, but I'm not going to tell you what they are." <laughs> so, that, covering himself in slightly more glory than he's managed to do so far, Doctor Shepherd. Eh? Yeah. He's been mostly kind of henpecked, slightly <laughs> embittered, yeah. um, and not terribly effective. At least at that yeah. moment, he was like, oh, "I don't think I'm going to tell you about how to kill somebody and <laughs> get away with it perfectly." Yeah. Now the maid, the, the, the maid says that the the cabinet was already open when she came across it, and she just shut it. So she didn't open mm. it and take an, a dagger out, for example. She just saw it and shut the cabinet. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the inspector then goes through his his sly fingerprint grab, where he's like, he go, he goes up to Parker and is like, "Take a look at this interesting book I've got." Gives it him, makes sure he sort of Parker rubs his fingers all over it and goes, "Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> I have your fingerprints. Um, and uh, this, you'd like it if he'd been a bit more sort of punky about it, wouldn't you? It's like, <laughs> I got your fingerprints, got yeah. your soul. Maybe you'll get locked up. Who knows? Yeah. I'm the boss here. Yeah. And uh, is it Stephen Reynolds, this guy who seems to just appear from nowhere last time? Him and... Uh, Jeffrey Raymond. Stephen <laughs> Reynolds. Jeffrey Steve, Raymond. Stephen Reynolds. <laughs> Another person who's just appeared from nowhere. <laughs> Sorry, Jeffrey Raymond. He... Um, <laughs> He he's the sort of what is it's kind of like a secretary for the house, yeah, or for specifically for sort of a PA for yeah, yeah. for Ackroyd, right? For Ackroyd, yeah. So he sees uh, the inspector doing his sneaky fingerprint grab. So he gives uh, he basically gets his prints and the doctor's prints and says to the inspector, "There you go, some more prints mm. for you." With a little smile on his face, mm. so. Um, <laughs> With a cheeky smile, you can see it as well. Little glint in his eye. Yeah, Got you some more, eh? <laughs> uh, Doctor Shepherd then returns home, tells Caroline the grand theory that the butler did it, and uh, and she responds, "Fiddlesticks." <laughs> <laughs> there are not enough books, Matt, nowadays where the word "fiddlesticks" is used seriously as an expression of scorn. Yeah, not nearly enough. Caroline uses it quite a lot as well. She's, she'll say it again before this part's over. Fiddlesticks. Does she say tish and pish as well? <laughs> Fie, my lord. Does she ever say that? <laughs> Not yet, but there is plenty of time. Uh, chapter 7, uh, I learn my neighbour's profession. And Flora Ackroyd reveals that <gasps> Poirot is Poirot. <gasps> yeah. So uh, it didn't keep that secret very long, did he? No. Something a bit weird here. It turns out, and we didn't get this in um, 
in the last chapter, even though we're doing it from his point of view. But Dr. Shepard visited Ralph last night to warn him. Yeah, which is, well, to warn him. Because well, doesn't he say a little him. bit, he's like, you know, I felt like he should know, you know, and I was the only person in town that knew he was there. Yeah, I mean, I felt like he should know, sounds like giving an excuse for the real reason. Uh, I just thought I'd let him know that, you know, yeah. you might be getting arrested. So if you want to run away, maybe now's, now's the time. The time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what a shift. You don't, the thing with this doctor is, like, from his perspective... So you automatically assume like he can't be the killer, mm. and I still don't think he is. But he does do some like shifty stuff, despite that, that he's sort of. It almost feels like a cheat because you're supposed to be in his head. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, it's, I, it is odd, isn't it? Like if it wasn't first first person perspective, you would feel a bit like maybe it's the doctor who did it. Yeah, you know, unless he's so. Yeah, but it, that would be that would be completely rubbish, wouldn't it? If it was first person perspective, and the end, the big reveal at the end of the book was, "Ha ha, dear reader, I have lied to you, and I forgot to narrate a crucial <laughs> ten minute period of plot," wouldn't it? Like it'd be awful. Um, um, unless, so it, unless it's a bit sort of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and he just sort of blacks oh, out. Oh, that would be a thing, wouldn't it? Like, <laughs> I bet what it is is whenever we have a, a sequence with him talking to his sister. Um, <laughs> He's, what he's actually undergoing there is some sort of weird, horrible, psychotic flashback. And it was actually that the first murder was years ago, and it was he murdered his, you know, this, this kind of relentlessly nagging sister. And now he's gone. Now he's gone all kind of Mr. Hyde. Yeah. yeah. New theory. New theory. Yeah, maybe he murdered his sister. Maybe when he's having these conversations, he's just talking to some, like, corpse in a room. Oh, in the dearie attic. me. I mean... In the attic, well, Dave, in the attic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I note the surprising co- kind of coherence of how you're enjoying this book and the average Stephen King novel. <laughs> not- there's a body in the attic and he's talking to it because he's mental. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of salacious voyeurism in Stephen King, to be honest, which is where I went first. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we'll just we'll park that for now about the the weird behaviour of our uh, central character. <laughs> also, it turns out there's this conversation. This is all sort of when we find out about Poirot. It's part of a conversation between Flora Ackroyd and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and sort of the Doctor. It turns out Flora, who is the sort of the cousin of Ralph that Ralph is supposed to be marrying, which was supposed to be this big secret, which Ackroyd seemed to know about, um, yeah. didn't know that Ralph was here. She had no awareness of it. And if that's true, it's looking yeah. good for both our theories about Ralph's involvement. That, Sus- yeah, actually, that's very true, yes. Yeah, suspicion falling more squarely on Ralph then. Uh, yeah. They go around to see Poirot, and he, he'll t- he takes up the case. He can't resist a bit of a, yeah, you know, a, bit of a murder. He doesn't mystery. even slightly pretend, does he? He's not even coquettish. He's yeah. like sort of, but I am retired. Oh, you must, okay. Okay, <laughs> I will solve it. <laughs> he does warn them. He's like a dog with a bone with this stuff. He says, I will follow through to the end. Basically saying, you're all suspects. <laughs> there's a faint, there's a faint sort if- of, there's a faint whiff of the witch smell of persuasion about this guy. 
<laughs> yeah, but with an impeccably trimmed moustache. <laughs> yeah. Which smell of persuasion, but one who's he's really, you know, he's, he's taken off the weird robes and he's stopped being as weird as he was and just decided to get right. Da- be dapper. Dapper witch hunter. You know, it's sort of, it's, 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 um, it's the crucible in spats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, we go to the police station and the inspector who was looking so confident last night is now looking a little bit uncomfortable because the butler, Parker, is being discounted from the murder uh, because the fingerprints because don't just... match. Oh! Mm. Not that he's just too fucking shifty and we're only two third, a third of the way through the book and it would be a bit rich if it turned out that the butler actually did do it. Yeah. <laughs> now that they searched his room and all they found was just sort of a, a pile of used tissues. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> You are really proud of this disgusting theory, aren't you? The the sexy dance having a quick one-off at the keyhole theory. It just just all fits together. It it might all fit together, but I tell you what, that would be the reason you've never seen this one adapted for Sunday Tea Time viewing, wouldn't it? Two... To explain, if you're not from the UK, these books, and particularly Agatha Christie and Poirot novels, have became extraordinarily successful, like, series of, like, feature-length TV things. Mm. Like, Sunday evening viewing, two hours of extremely polite murder and death. And none of them, none of them <laughs> featured an elderly butler having a quick <laughs> choke of the worm whilst bending down and looking through a keyhole. <laughs> Astonishingly. <laughs> well... I've never seen one, so I, what, Have you what not? was I to know? No, no, never seen. All right, so you so you had no way of knowing whether or not ITV would have put out uh, Butler self abuse <laughs> at six o'clock on a Sunday evening, just as everybody's sitting down with their toast and tea. Exactly, quite. Yeah, you had absolutely no way of knowing whether or not that would have been a reasonable thing or a totally crazy thing for them to do. <laughs> so the um, <laughs> the. The suspicion is falling on Ralph now, so they want to get hold of his prints, but they don't can't seem to find him. He looks like he's gone to ground. Uh, so Poirot goes to the scene of the crime. He goes into the room where Ackroyd died, and there are a few extra clues are discovered here. Uh, one is the fact that the fire had actually burned very low by the time mm. the body was found. Mm. Um, there was a chair out of place that had been moved back into place since sort of yesterday evening, which is a bit weird again. Mm-hmm. And the big question being asked is, it looks like Ackroyd let this per whoever it was who came in through the window, Ackroyd let him in, or mm. her. So who was it? And obviously people some, think it's Ralph. Yeah, some, somebody he knew, which is to say, Ralph. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, <laughs> that, that's it. There really seems to be, there's not very much mystery in this mystery novel, in this little sequence, is there? There's just an awful lot of people saying, it was him, it was him, it was definitely him, it was him. Do you agree it was him? Oh, I agree it was him. It was him. <laughs> yeah. All roads point to Ralph at the moment. And uh, yeah. also, we find out this call which uh, the doctor received, uh, presumably from the butler, saying, oh, Mr. Ackroyd's dead, was actually, actually made from the train station. They sort of trace the call. So, uh, yeah. could you can you think of anyone um, in this story who may have sort of gone to ground and ended up fleeing the area? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, tip of my tongue. I can't really. I, I feel like I should know somebody who. Oh no, it's Ralph, isn't it? It's Ralph. 
it's Ralph. This whole section should be uh, should be subtitled brackets. It was probably Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take the rest of the day off, guys. It's Ralph. <laughs> I wonder if she was ever tempted to do that when writing mystery novels. Is instead of putting in sort of an intricately weaved network of, you know, innuendo and point and counterpoint, if she was just tempted to, like, set up the first red herring and then be like, and it was actually him in the end. <laughs> well, I mean, it might be. Mystery pamphlet. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's clearly a red herring, isn't it? There's no way that you get... You know what I mean? This is, this is yeah. why I'm a bit irritated, because I, 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 I thought I was being, uh, well... Slightly funny, at least, with it was definitely Ralph straight out of the box. And then it, he yeah. turns out to be the first fucking suspect, <laughs> nailed on, genuine, it's him. And yeah. I just end up looking like somebody who flicked a few pages ahead and was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem to be too obvious, doesn't it, this Ralph one? But Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah. see. Uh, chapter 8. Unlike us, Inspector, Inspector Raglan is confident. Is the next chapter. Mm. Um, so there's this brief conversation to work out, has... Has there been any strange visitors to the house in the last week? Turns out there was one. He was a dictaphone salesman, but he's discounted pretty quickly because of his height. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I do. I agree that isn't going to go anywhere, though. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It looks like uh, the or the Raglan theory is that it wasn't a member of the household who did it. Mm. The Raglan theory is basically it's Ralph again. <laughs> <laughs> and Inspector Radcliffe is confident on this question. <laughs> he thinks it's Ralph. Basically, the, the, the theory is that uh, Ralph snuck round to the house to ask for some money because he had money trouble um, from, from stepdad. And mm. he had an argument with Ackroyd and then slipped out of the window, crept round the house, slipped, uh, crept into the dining room, got the dagger, crept back round the house, <laughs> back in through the window, or actually maybe in through the door this time, and uh, and then stabs Ackroyd and then makes a run for it. Oh, but isn't there some business with... He's, le- he's left muddy footprints in various places. Yeah, back so, and forth, sort of around the outside of the house. So he couldn't have gone in through the door. So that means that what's happened is they've had a blazing row, and then he's just gone... Do you know what, Dad? Wait there. And <laughs> climbed out of the window. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, walking, walking past in sort of dusty silhouette, past the outside of the windows, holding up one figure. Hang on. Wait, wait. You wait. Because I'm... <laughs> hang on. Walks... <laughs> goes and gets the most clearly identifiable murder <laughs> weapon in the entire house. Instead of going out into the garden where there are spades and... Any and you know secateurs and any any number of things you could kill somebody with goes and gets something which was definitely only in one place. Chooses it for ease of detection, it would seem. Gets back out, walks back around the building, climbs back in through the window. Hang on, Dad, wait there. Just have a seat. Yeah, facing away from me. No, don't worry about it. I'm not angry anymore. No, have it. Ha! Stab, stab, stab. <laughs> yeah, and even if all that was believable, um, if you remember when. Um, the doctor was like heard the cabinet closing back when mm. he first visited. He thought it was a window shutting, and he looked in the room and realised that the windows don't open. So there's another problem. Unless Ralph has somehow managed to sort of cause some distraction so all the house doesn't hear him smashing through the window and then hired a glazer to sort of 
refit the window as he makes his escape, then <laughs> he can't get in and out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, odd. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't share Inspector Raglan's confidence. I've got to be honest. But. Yeah, Inspector Raglan is confident. Subtext: Inspector Raglan is a fucking idiot. <laughs> but nobody else sort of calls him on it either. It's so obvious. But anyway, yeah, true, um, true. Poirot goes a, a wandering and goes down to the summer house and finds a scrap of white material. Ooh, ooh. I mean, I'm not sure why that. Why he thinks that's relevant, but he says everything's relevant. Everything's relevant. Although, I mean, that's a, that is a good piece of you know that's his version of um, of Sherlock Holmes. You know, the importance of noticing small trifles, or you know, the psychology of the individual, or whatever. Where his his catchphrase was right. Yeah. But if literally everything is important, <laughs> you wouldn't get past the front door, would you? You'd be like, I noticed a small piece of dirt on the floor there, and next to it a hair. <laughs> and then I notice a feather for some reason. And then the doormat, very complicated. going to take a long time over this. The doormat seems to have a lot of things on it. Mud, start, <laughs> but then there's also sort of fibres of some sort of doormat material. Like, you'd never yeah. get anywhere, would you? Everything's important, my bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's in the attic examining, like, a little doll that had been left there 20 years ago. He's going, oh, <laughs> everything's important. And the doctor's like, Poirot... Are you sure? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> I am not convinced that that's as true as you currently claim. <laughs> uh, chapter nine is called The Goldfish Pond. Uh, they, they mm. Basically, if Paro and the Doctor are, are by this goldfish pond and they overhear another conversation. This is between... This, this Basically, Flora, the cousin who's supposed to be married to Ralph, is in the garden looking really cheerful. <laughs> sort of... Bumps into everyone's favourite rapper, Major Blunt, and uh, there's this like sexually charged conversation. Um, <laughs> with the really the most awkward, awkward sexually charged <laughs> conversation in the world, isn't it? Yeah, uh, and it, I don't, I'm not really sure where this goes, but yeah, so there's something going on between those two. Um, but it's, I, I, I sort of want to spend a little bit more time on that conversation because it's so weird, isn't yeah. it? There's, there's all but kind of like the the who is it? Is it the major? Is just incredibly awkward, but yeah. like he's awkward, but also potentially rubbing his thighs at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's very weird a tonal mix. Yeah, you get the feeling he doesn't really know how to speak to women. Um. And yeah. he's very uncomfortable. Uh, and Flora is sort of acting kind of strange as well. Um, yeah. We find out that she um, stands to get a £20,000 inheritance um, for this. For uh, <laughs> Well, hmm. Hmm. Which, I think, yeah. new theory, new theory. Oh. It wasn't the housekeeper doing the sexy dance. It was his niece. I mean, I mean, he's messed up. Yeah, he's messed it up. Is. But I mean, but you've 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 brought us the spectacle of a, a butler wanking off <laughs> outside of a door, <laughs> which can still happen under your theory. Just right. which can. Still <laughs> well, I'd like to make it very clear that that's of little or no interest to me. <laughs> so I didn't mention it. Whereas it seems to have taken a very central part in your whole idea of how this murder came off. Yeah, I suppose in a world where. Um, 
it's all we've, we've already seen that it, it, the uh, cousins are about to get married and no one thinks it's at all a big deal. Maybe a, a niece doing a sexy dance for her uncle isn't entirely <laughs> out of the realms of possibility. We'll it is, although I, I, I think we are. We are, is, it, is this a subconscious thing where we're just going out of our way to completely dismantle, mock <laughs> and degrade the sort of <laughs> Daily Mail reading, bucolic <laughs> English upper class niceness of this whole situation yeah <laughs> uh, Poirot announces himself here um, he says I, I can no longer sort of sneakily listen into this conversation just so happens that I think he he realises that it's not really going anywhere so there's not much point so he goes it is I Poirot and that goes over and says hello um, there's this bit of interrogation of Major Blunt doesn't really go very far uh, but um, he says he was outside when the sort of the murder was committed, or just before, and he heard an mm. argument uh, between Ackroyd and someone who he didn't recognise. Uh. He also saw um, a woman disappearing into the bush, <laughs> <laughs> and he's only just decided to mention that now. <laughs> oh, should I have? Should I have mentioned that? That feels it didn't feel important at the time, but then then again, when you say it, somebody running away and hiding and concealing themselves in the context of a murder, perhaps I should have mentioned it. <laughs> <sighs> you never know, do you? You never know. Yeah, which is, again, kind of weird, eh? But yeah, it's, it's fairly frigging weird. Yeah, and there's something, actually, another clue, which um, they see something flash in the bottom of the pond, mm. and uh, Poirot has a rummage around and says, oh, I couldn't find it. And then as they're walking back to the house, he sort of nudges the doctor and says, hey, get a, look at, get a load of this. <laughs> and he, <laughs> and he's, he's actually found a, a wedding ring, which Ooh. is inscribed from R on it. Well, 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 I'm not sure what that means. Does that mean that she threw away a wedding ring? Does that mean... Could be. Does, I love I love I love Poirot's thing as well. What he says is not, in fact, glorious as it would have been for the sight of a, a short, immaculately coiffured Belgian detective suddenly turning northern and being like, "Hey, hey, have a look at that, hey, hey, see that? Got that?" He does not say that. What he says instead is, "My friend, I do not get my clothes dirty unless I have a good reason to do it." Yeah, <laughs> which is even better. <laughs> yeah, so he's got he's got that clue. Yeah, so. It, it looks like, I assume, that is uh, Flora's wedding ring, which has been discarded. Or Flora's ring that she's been given from Ralph. To say. Or from somebody Put whose name begins with R. Raymond? Oh, 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 that would be a bit formal, though. That would be a bit English, wouldn't it? Because Raymond's his last name. <laughs> so, like, my darling, I love you, Raymond. <laughs> 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 I'll telegram you further intimations of desire in a couple of weeks. There are no other R's, are they, apart from Ralph? Ralph, Raymond. What's, nope. the, but, what's the butler's first name? Nobody knows. This is the C. Nobody it's knows. Roy. It's Roy Parker. Is it? Oh! No, it's oh! Not. It's not. I'm making it. Oh. Sorry. oh, Matt, you had me going there. <laughs> it's as if it's well. called Roy. <laughs> Roy. It could. 
He could be called Roy. You don't know. Once again, we have to go to the touchstone of Downton Abbey for this, where we learn that everybody below stairs, no matter where they are in the country, has a weird gestalt mixy kind of northern accent where people from Manchester and people from Newcastle are treated as being from essentially the same place. So, he might be called Roy. Okay, he might be. He might be. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sound too excited about it. (laughs) The the parlour maid is the next chapter. Uh, And Mrs. Aykroyd... Now this is this is a suspicious character because she's we didn't the doctor didn't like her when he first met her. She's um, got a a history of sort of barreling into Mister Ackroyd's affairs and making sure he can't sleep with any housemaids, and um, <laughs> and, and, she, and she also sort of has quite a lot to gain from from Ackroyd dying, and she's also acting shiftily every time you see her. So although no one's accusing her at the moment, she's pretty. Uh, like accusable, accusable. Yeah, um, yeah. Ralph apparently was struggling for money, and he stood to inherit a vast fortune. What do you think about that? Well, he certainly had something to gain from the situation, didn't he? Well, exactly. And uh, Mrs. Ackroyd uh, does a bit of sort of bad mouthing of uh, her late sort of brother-in-law as well. Um, <laughs> Uh, is this a bit where we find out about a bit more about who's getting what from the inheritance as well? Yeah, we do. And it's got one of my favourite pieces of writing here where you kind of find out about it. Um, the, the lawyers in the house because they've just been doing all the bequests. Oh, yeah. and, and he's described... I forget what the wording is, but it's, it's fantastic. It's like... It's... Um, I walked around the corner and saw... Um, it's something like, you know, the, the grey... This grey dull, pathetic human being who had lawyer written all over him or something like that. Just, <laughs> she's got a real sense of Agatha Christie having recently been screwed by a lawyer. And being like, you bastard, I'll have you. <laughs> yeah. Um, they mentioned to Mrs. Ackroyd that there's probably going to be an inquest. And she's like, oh, oh, you, you're not going to have an inquest, are you? Um, you're not going to ask me any questions, are you? Um, I don't think we should have an inquest. <laughs> <laughs> And I like that. I mean, is this is this just a reflection of the age, where you know, like where she could kind of play the oh, but me, a poor woman, oh, I couldn't possibly cope with any of that. Oh, Lord, swoony, swoony, swoon. Yeah, yeah um, maybe it is that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's mm, yeah, it's sort of a bit more suspicious perhaps from where we're sitting but I could just see them kind of going oh it's okay little woman don't worry about it clearly you couldn't have anything to do with it because women don't have any agency of their own yeah. you know yeah. sort of getting away with it yeah could be that, I mean that is a is sort of a cloak to hide behind in this era so maybe um, mm. so we, we see that through the inheritance uh, Ralph and a couple of other people have a lot to gain um, sort of the high rollers through killing Ackroyd. Um, then we find a bit, a bit more about the, the lower rollers, um, where it turns out that 40 quid, <laughs> 40 quid's been nicked from the bedroom of Mr. Ackroyd. So uh, I think this is to give the impression that, you know, the little people could have killed him as well because 40 quid's quite a lot to them. And uh, yeah. they've nicked that. So, you know, <laughs> not patronising at all. But um, So the parlour maid is the chief suspect for this bit. Because she 
put the, not to be mistaken with the maid or the housekeeper. The parlour maid is is about to leave the household because she got her ass fired by her acroid. Yeah, um, or well, she she kind of fired herself, sort of thing. Is it? Is it, he was like, you have to leave, or did she say I'm going to leave? Oh, I thought he I thought he dismissed her because she was like rifling through some of his papers on his desk or something, and he was like, right, get out. You're done. Oh, right. You're never working in this town again, he said. <laughs> you, you'll never make lunch in this town again. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the sort of interrogate the parlour maid is called Ursula Brown or Ursula Bourne. Ursula Bourne, I think it is. Um, mm. As part of sort of a round of household interrogations, and she seems the shiftiest. She's not got any alibi for uh, when he died, which is suspicious again. Mm. And as they're walking away, Poirot sort of mentions that, and he also sa- still says though that Ralph is still his prime suspect. Um, which do you, it, it's all for. I mean, I originally I think I said it was the housekeeper doing the sexy dance stroke murder, but it could just as easily <laughs> be the parlour maid who I you know who I almost say is the same. But uh, it's still coming together nicely. My theory, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong, actually. Still happy with that. A, a joint effort between the two to off Ackroyd so Ralph and Ursula Bourne can run away with the inheritance and an extra 40 quid for the no, expenses. <laughs> 40 quid for expenses, isn't it? <laughs> like, we're going to work together on this. I'm going to murder him and inherit an unbelievably massive fortune, but it's imperative that you nick 40 quid from his secret cash box in his bedroom so that there's more clues and there's more chance we'll get caught because I am not spending any more money on your little trinkets, all right? You've got to support yourself. <laughs> that, that, was, that was her sort of, her side, cash in hand. That was what he, that's how he sold it to her. He was like, <laughs> he's like, so so we'll kill him together, and then I'll inherit, I'll, I'll, I'll inherit twenty twenty thousand pounds. Oh, it'll be probably more the vast estate, and, and you'll get forty quid cash in hand. And she's like, what, you what forty quid? Yes, cash in hand. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you could spend it on a family holiday. <laughs> yeah. Or- or I could pay back some of the debt. No, see, we can't now do a whole Mitchell and Webb rig. <laughs> no, let's move on. Uh, moving on to our final chapter of the day, Poirot pays a call. Uh, now, this is... Uh, they, the, firstly, uh, the doctor pays a call. Uh, Dr. Shepard goes round to visit uh, Mrs. Folio, or Foliot, if it's either English. Um, she's a previous employer of Ursula Brown, the parlour maid. And as soon as the doctor starts asking about her, Mrs. Folio gets really shifty and quiet and says, oh, I, I won't talk about Ursula Brown. Don't ask me to talk about Ursula. Do you want me to talk about Ursula Brown? And the doctor's like, uh, no, it's okay then. And wonders <laughs> over. <laughs> did you get that impression from that? I did, yeah. Worst detective ever. <laughs> he just seems to be so sort of diffident, doesn't he? Yeah. Sort of like, well, maybe... Possibly. Well, I mean, I mean, it might be interesting, I suppose. Um, yeah. Oh, sod it. No, I don't care. I'm a doctor. Damn it, I'm a doctor. I don't care about murders. This is this is why I said before that he seems to act really suspiciously, suspiciously the doctor. Because it seems like he's sort of... Uh, he gives me the impression of the kind of guy who's been roped into investigating this murder, but he just does not want to find out who it is. And he's sort of passive-aggressively 
throwing roadblocks in the way. All that. So he, he gets sent round to find out about the house, about the parlour maid. He goes round. She says, oh, I'm not too keen to talk. So he just shrugs his shoulders and slinks off. And then this next bit is Caroline, his sister, says, Poirot has come round to visit me and I told him some information. And she's basically told him about the conversation she overheard between Ralph and this mystery woman in the forest and um, the fact that the housekeeper visited uh, Dr. Shepherd the day before. You know, she doesn't know she was asking about poisons, but she thinks it might be worth sort of telling Poirot. And both of these things, the doctor's like, why do you tell him that? You know, I didn't. The, the, that stuff isn't relevant, surely. <laughs> and bearing in mind, Caroline doesn't even know that the reason this housekeeper came round was to ask about, you know, poisons that she could possibly use to kill someone and not get caught. So I quite how Doctor Shepard doesn't think that's relevant. I just it just seems like he's being deliberately obstructive. An obtuse, right? Yeah. Just sort of like, yeah, oh, I couldn't possibly... I used my judgment. What do you mean? What do you mean that was a silly and irresponsible thing to do? I, I, I quite disagree. Yeah. He's either an idiot or he's dirty. Oh, dear. I'm making that assumption now. Yeah, That's my yeah. accusation. Yeah. That's what I think, anyway. So that brings us to the end of our part for today. And, well... Dave, Matt, you were before this part convinced that it was Ralph. <laughs> are, are you sticking, or are you going to add any caveats to that, or are you going to cash it in um, and pick something else? Well, I don't really want to meta talk about in a novel like this. You know, I feel like that's ruining the ruining the plot. Really, to be like, well, it can't possibly be him because it looks really likely that it's him, or we're only halfway through. <laughs> so, so yeah, no, screw it, yeah. Ralph, Sticking with guilty that. as. I saw him, I, the first time I saw him on the page, I thought, you're guilty, my son. And he's become more and more guilty the more time's gone on. It's going to be him. Yeah. I'm going to How sti- about you? Are you st- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stick with my theory that here's what happened. Um, Ralph. Again, is- I note the pleasure you take in repeating this idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, it's changed slightly because the, the identity of the sexy dancer is, is slightly different now. So Ra- Ralph yeah, right. was going to marry. He's going to be forced to marry his cousin. And because he, you know, isn't an inbred, he doesn't want <laughs> to do it. So he, But he does want to run off with not the housekeeper, but this parlour maid, um, Ursula, Ursula Bourne. Ursula uh, Bourne, the parlour maid. Yeah. So... Uh, he comes up with this plan where he sneaks in the window. No, he doesn't sneak in the window, sorry. The Ursula goes into the room with Ackroyd. He's got a sort of a, you know, he's got a reputation for sleeping with his housekeepers and stuff. So she does a little sexy dance to, di- to distract him and then stabs him in the neck. Um, for some reason, Ralph's there as well. He's climbing through the window. I'm not quite sure why he's <laughs> just, there. Just there for fun. <laughs> yeah, just to check it's all going down. Not at all. And his response to this is not to be like, holy shit, you've done a sexy dance and killed my dad. It's to be like, well, well <clears throat> I'd no, better no, run away, make a couple a, of phone calls, get on a train. Yeah, it's, no, this is a joint plan between them. He's just making sure it goes through. Ursula gets the 40 quid cash, cash in hand, <laughs> down payment. Cash in hand, a lump sum, cash in hand. <laughs> and then they run off. All the time, the butler's been watching, you know, giving himself a treat through the keyhole. Oh. And that's why he's looking shifty. Giving himself a treat. And <laughs> I think that's, uh, that covers all the bases, doesn't it? 
Oh, and the, and the, um, doc, the, yeah, the doctor's yeah. the doctor's kind of in on it because Ralph's his mate, so he's he, he's trying to sort of cover it up a bit and give him time to get away. You know what? I, I think that might be the most watertight theory <laughs> I have ever heard in the context of a mystery novel. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it's better than Inspector Raglan's he must have climbed in through this unopenable window, stole a <laughs> really famous dagger and then stabbed his dad with it. <laughs> That's true. We can all agree that Inspector Raglan is full of shit. Yeah, they've, they've, neither of the inspectors have, have covered themselves in glory so far, have they? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, and I think they both knew they were they were gonna kind of they were gonna be unimpressive because when Poirot turns up and is like, "I can help," they're like, "Will you fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> very good, Frenchy. <laughs> yeah, well, very good, Mister Frenchman. I don't think we'll need any help from a Frenchy. They seem to say. And then the moment I do love it because it's so accurate, isn't it? Like the moment he's like, "I wouldn't be able to take any publicity, though." They're all like, "Oh, that was completely fine. Yes, we'll take advantage of your services for free and for no publicity at all." You know? <laughs> yeah. Basically, saying you can keep the credit once it happens. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But it's such a good way of getting them into it, which is yeah. you know, and, and Poirot's such a. Such a, a deft operator that I'm minded to say perhaps he knows something. Perhaps he's looked in their eyes and seen guilt, and he's just working it so that he can implicate the police. Oh, you're implicating the police. I'm not implicating the police officer. Don't, don't, I, don't, I'm not getting on any no-fly lists. No, no, mm. no. I'm just, maybe Poirot's doing that. Maybe. Because he's, he's, Poirot's the boss. Maybe. I'm sticking with the Ralph theory, if only yeah. because I lack imagination. <laughs> I'm sticking with my... I'm not going to go into it again, but you know the my sexy, thoughts on the matter. The sexy dance theory. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right, Dave, where are we reading to for next week? Next week, we're going to read uh, from the start of Chapter 12 to the end of Chapter 17. So we're stopping when you see a chapter title that says Flora Aykroyd. You heard the man. What are you waiting for? Open the book, get reading, and uh, we'll be back next week. Oh, also, before you go... <laughs> before you go... Um, if you want to bring in your own harebrained theories as to what's gone down and how Roger Ackroyd's been murdered, send those to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and we're also on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Okay then. We'll see you next week, Dave. I'll see you next week, man. <laughs>